to be in Psalm 33, and uh, we have a beautiful passage of Scripture, and one of the things that I really love about this psalm that just stands out is, uh, you know, we've been looking at times in, in David's life where he goes through the valleys and the hills and goes ups and downs. He has a high here and a low here, and this psalm really is a psalm where David's just centers around praising God and who he is and how great he is. And as, as we break this down, there's just some questions I was writing down as I was looking through this and praying through the psalm. But one of the first things I look at here in, as David enters this is, what do we do? And as we look at this, we'll see what we as God's children do as we enter into the presence of the Lord. And notice what David says we do. Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. And the first thing, if you notice, he's saying is sing, and sing with joy, and sing it in the Lord, and those that can sing are righteous. So notice how many things center around this. Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. This is what we can do. And you know, sometimes we come to a place, even in some of our prayer requests, that we don't know exactly what to do. But then God says, this is what you can do. And this is something we can do in spite of or even without. And David says, sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. We can sing for joy. We can claim our righteousness. And we can praise him in the Lord Jesus. And sometimes uh, when I enter these times of prayer and all of a sudden you're overwhelmed by something, and you don't know which way to go. Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. There are, we come to some places tonight as we're looking in the Psalms that the Psalms will say, this is what we can do. We can do it in prayer. We can do it through praising. The next part of this is give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. That is like the harp. Use, use the harp to use what God gives you to give thanks to the Lord. What God gives you, thank him. And this, again, is what we can do. And then he even goes on and he says, sing praises to him with a harp of 10 strings. And so it's like David saying, okay, give thanks to the Lord with this harp, but then give thanks to the Lord with the big harp. Uh, one, of the, one of the harps that is beautiful and, and uh there's a song, and in a couple places, the word that speaks of this is the dulcimer, and it has many, many, many strings. And David is saying, use what we can to thank God. Use what we can to praise God. And when we come, even as we've looked at tonight, at just as you were sharing some of the things you're dealing with and we're dealing with, we recognize there are things we can't do, but we can always come to the place, we can enter in the presence of God, we can give thanks to him. We can praise him. We can use what he gives us to offer praise to him. And this is still what we can do. And God will take us all to these places. There's nothing but that. But that's everything in one sense. We can still say, God, I'm going to praise you. And David was just uttering this. And then notice in the third verse as he, he says, sing to him, the Lord, a new song. 
and play skillfully with a shout of joy. And David introduces something here, and he has spoke of this different times. He'll bring this up again in Psalm 40, and you'll follow this little theme through the Bible, and that is this new song, the song of redemption, the song of salvation, the song of exultation, that the Lord has done something so amazing. And David says, let's sing to the Lord a new song. Now, there are some verses, I'm going to put on the screen, from Isaiah 42, 8 through 12, when we think of a new song. The Word of God would, will open up about the new song. And Isaiah is writing, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things. Before they spring forth, I proclaim them to you. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing his praise from the end of the earth, you who dwell down to the sea and all that is in it. You islands and those who dwell in them, let the wilderness and its cities lift up their voices, the settlements where Kedar inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing aloud. Let them shout for joy from the tops of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. And as David touches in this new song, he, he is speaking of like we come through, let's just call it difficulty, and we find the deliverance of God, and all of a sudden we realize, God, you did it. You did it again. And from our lips comes this song of praise and adoration that maybe was lacking before. You might have been singing, and we're singing a good song, but here comes the new song. But there's also another truth here that we'll find a little bit later in the Word of God, and I stuck a couple other verses in here from Ephesians 5, 17 through 21. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now think about the new song in light of the spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And here, Paul now, as he's writing the Ephesian church, speaks about this giving thanks always, this new song, singing with praise in our hearts to the Lord. And all of a sudden, songs, the new song often will come from the heart. One more verse in Colossians 3 and 16. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to the Lord. And as we look at this, the new song, as you think about it, oftentimes might be that song of praise, of deliverance, of thanksgiving. When God has even taken us through something and he's seen us through and all of a sudden on the other side of it we go, Lord, this is amazing what you have done. It is really, truly amazing to behold what you have done. And, you know, I think about this, um, 
the, the, the word of God speaks about here, it says, play skillfully with a shout of joy. And I don't know how it is with you, you but sitting here tonight and watching all the young people up here singing and doing the best they can. Now here's Andy, and uh, I know Andy pretty well. And Andy really, really strives for excellence. He, will, he doesn't want anything but excellence as, he is, as he's working with the instrument. And, and he's, he's out of my, I, I can't follow when he isn't hitting, but Andy doesn't give up seeking excellence. And when the word of God speaks about the new song, if you look at this with me, he also says, play skillfully and with a shout of joy. And he's saying, use what you have to praise God. What you have. See, I'm not Andy. Uh, we're not Andy. But what he's saying in playing skillfully is use the best skill set God has given you to praise him in the way he calls you to. And when you think about that, there's all kinds of ways to praise God. And I think about this even in light of uh, uh, a memory that still keeps coming back. It's just about a week ago now, the last stop we made in India was in the slums of Hyderabad, India. And as we were walking through the slums in the lowest, darkest, dankest place you could possibly imagine on the face of the earth, and people are living there, where we stopped and we sang some songs, I happened to look inside a little home that had a crack where you could see through it with this old curtain that was hanging down to give them a little privacy. But inside that home was a place as clean as it could be. And that just caught me. I thought, in spite of they are doing the best they can with what they have in the, very, in the middle of amazing poverty to show cleanliness and give a place even for their children to be. And when we think about that, this is also, as we think about working skillfully, giving the best. Colossians 3 and 23 says, whatever you do, give the best. Carl, you go to you go to. You go to McDonald's in Chicago, you give the best you can. That's what you do. We give the best we can. One thing we used to tell the guys in, in the work we were in, I, I tell the guys, had this little motto. I said, guys, there's, there, there will be people that can do it better than us, but let's make sure that no one tries any harder than us, that we give it the best. And this is what the word of God really teaches, is use what God has given you to praise God. We can't sing all like these, even these young people. We can't play the instrument. We don't have the same gift that someone else has. But what we do have, use it the best we can because this is what we can do. We can, we can still be joyful through that. We can, give pray, we can give thanks. We can sing praises. We can play skillfully. And then we come to another part of a, of a question I have done. Why do we do it? Why do we actually give praise and sing. And in verse four and five, it answers that question. David says, for the word of the Lord is upright. We do it because God is true. His word is true. The word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. 
God is completely faithful in everything that he does. He loves righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the loving kindness of God. And here David just stops and goes, let's look at why it's worth it to do the best we can, to praise, to think, to walk in a way that is truly becoming to children of God. And it's like, because God is perfect. And as we look on this side of the cross, we see that his work is perfect. Everything he did at the cross of Christ was done perfectly for us. And, and David says, this is why we can do it. And, for the, and then it says, by the word of the Lord, as we keep looking, who is this God? And we get, we get the chance tonight to step back and look at who God is. And in all of our Christian lives, there's a place that God just simply tells us all, step back and see me. And just all you do is focus on who I am for a while. Not who you are, not what's going on that's tough, not what's going on with somebody else. Focus on me for a while. And we'll see this as we go further in the in this psalm. Who is he? By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. God's word is perfect. He spoke the world in existence. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. And David is describing the perfection of God. How great he is. He does everything right. We don't see his timing. Oftentimes it takes a while for us to see how God does it right. But God does it right. And when David is, is here speaking about this, you know, who is this God and what does he do? And then we come back to what do we do when we look at God like this? Verse 8 will show this. Let all the earth fear the Lord. When we see God, we fear the Lord. When the fear of the Lord is lost in our heart, it is because we're not seeing God as he is. When we see God as he is, there will be a holy reverential fear in our heart that will come over us when we recognize how great and ma magnificent God is. Let all the earth fear the Lord and let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. And really when we think of the fear of the Lord here that David is speaking of, he's speaking of a reverential awe and respect and an honor to God. But notice what David says. When we see him as perfection, the response is the fear of God. And I believe you'll find Paul in Romans writing, the day comes that people, there's left no fear of God in the eyes of the people. It's gone. It's fled. The fear of God has fled. And it is a direct result of failing to see who God really is. Because when we see him as he is, we cannot do anything but fear him. Because he is so perfect. And he is also so beautiful, and he does everything uh, perfectly in every way. For he spoke. Why do we love the Lord? Why do we follow him? You know, people, some days we may even wonder that for a moment. Hold it. Why? Is it worth it? Why do we love the world, uh, love to follow the Lord Jesus? Verse 9 and 10 explain why. He spoke, and it was done. 
This is how great God is. He just speaks it and it happens. His own word changes everything. We know that in Genesis. He just, a moment, the moment he said, let there be man, let there be light. And light went throughout the whole world. But the word of the Lord not only created the heavens, but when God speaks today, everything changes. God does everything perfectly. And when this happens, it's the most amazing work as God does this. And, and, the, ways he, he, and the ways that he does this. He spoke, it was done. He commanded, it stood fast. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations and he frustrates the plans of the peoples. That's kind of an interesting one in light of uh, tonight we had the prayer for uh, our president. And, you know, sometimes when you see these great assemblies and we get all caught up, like, hold it. This is going to affect our lives from now on. We'll never be the same after what comes out of this convention or this whatever. And the word of God says, the Lord nullifies the counsel of men. God's word is what stands. And that's, that's what I love, even as we go back to someone like, let's just take our president under attack. And people are going after him. But the word of God says the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And like rivers of water, he'll turn up wherever he will. And God will fulfill his purpose on the earth. He just asks his people to acknowledge that. Sometimes we watch the, the rise of evil and we say, look out. But the word of the Lord teaches that, uh, that God will fulfill, and, and notice this, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. Verse 11, the plans of his heart from generation to generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people who he has chosen for his own inheritance. You know, America has obviously, we know this, has moved a long ways, and we could all talk, and, and many of you that are older could say, this is, this is what I remember when I was a kid, and I can, I can say that, you know, we still prayed in the schools and, and all of this. Yet when you go to a country that there is no God, you can feel it. The, the depth of darkness that surrounds that society is unbelievable. And when you come back into this place, even with its conflict, you go, this is amazing that God is still allowing us to walk in these doors without persecution and trial. It's not, a, it's not a right. It's not anything we deserve. It is the grace of God that opens those doors and lets us come in here and worship. But, but the word of God says, blessed is, the, is that nation whose God is the Lord. And yes, this nation needs revival. We know that. But the only way this nation's revival will come is revival comes in our hearts. And as our hearts turn toward God, it will begin to touch the nation. But there is a tremendous blessing. You can feel it. You know, India, 2.16% of the people believe today. That's the estimation. 4,700 casts, 25,000 subcast. No belief. Generation after generation rises up and don't know Jesus Christ. They don't even know who God is. They have no knowledge of who the Lord is. None whatsoever. But when we come here, God has chosen even to today to give us favor. And I don't know what all that means, but God protects us right here. 
And really from the heart of God's people, there should be thanksgiving and praise for the ways that God protects us. Because it is amazing when you stop and think about the, the hand of God and the ways that he works in so many ways. You know, here's another, here's another verse that is just the preceding verse. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. You know, I don't know what all of you look at as the, as the burden when you go to prayer before God, but often when I go to prayer before God, one of the great burdens of my heart is, God, I want your counsel. I need your counsel because it'll stand forever. Your counsel is right. My counsel will come to nothing. And seeking the counsel of God is really important for God's children, that we go and say, I want one, one place in one of the prophets, it says that the people sought not the counsel of God and the entire nation was wiped out. But if we say, God, I want your counsel, not my counsel. I want your wisdom, not my wisdom. And, and this is so important in a time in which uh, uh, there is so many voices out there that we've got to step back and say, Lord, I need the counsel, your counsel, that's going to stand forever. I want to give you a couple verses in Proverbs, Proverbs 1 and 5. I'm going to leave one of the big ones off that I had here. But you'll see Proverbs is a, is a book that is full of seeking God's counsel, seeking his heart. What does God say about this? Well, here's what man says. That's what I heard they say. But going back and saying, Lord, I want your counsel. I don't want man's counsel. I want to hear directly from you. But one verse in Proverbs 1 and 5, it says, A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. And so we have this, this teaching of seeking out godly counsel. Finding it, saying, okay, Lord, I want godly counsel. I don't want something that takes me. Here's another one of Proverbs, and I'm jumping quickly. Uh, Proverbs 19.21. Many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. And when you think about that, we get all kinds of plans, but God's counsel stands. And if we say, Lord, I want your counsel. Very seldom in most of our Christian lives, there isn't something that we really need the counsel of God on. And often to get his counsel, we've got to listen, we've got to wait, we need to pray, we need to listen again, we need to hear from him. Because if we hear from him, we're hearing from the direct source. But if we're hearing from another source, it's going to be very confusing. Now, there is one, there's a verse so in Galatians 1, 15 and 16, uh, I want to reference because this was when Paul was referring back to when he was converted. And it's, it's another part of seeking the counsel of God. It says, but when God, who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. Now this is another part of counsel. There is a place in everyone's life here that you know what to do. God already told you. You know, you've heard from God. 
He has already told you what you're to do. You can go and seek someone else to give advice, but you are that person has not heard from God where you have heard from God. You already know. He has spoken directly to you. It may have come through the word. It may have become through a circumstance. It may have become through some amazing sign. But notice with Paul what he did, that when he came to this place, that he was convicted and the Holy Spirit had came upon him, and he was now, uh, the work of regeneration was coming through his entire heart. He never, went back to, he never went back to the Sanhedrin. He never went back to the religious elite and said, hey, what do, you, what do you guys think? He didn't go there. There is a place in seeking godly counsel that yes, we ask, we listen well. We even build, I, God has given me the privilege, even in the last few weeks, uh, as I've traveled, two of the men I traveled with are great counselors of mine. And they may not even know that, but I just listen for God in, in their speech. Many times they will not tell me. They'll just talk the word. And it may come a different way. But when God tells us, and we know it, and he says, I'll just use Carl here. Carl, you're to, you're to go to Chicago. You are to go to Chicago. You're to go to McDonald's. Now, if Carl hears that, and then he goes over here to Harold and says, Harold, what do you think? Think I should go to McDonald's? Hey, you're crazy. What are you going to Chicago this time of year for? This is absolutely crazy. It's going to snow, you know? But the word of God is saying uh, that if you hear from God, do what God tells you. And it may sound radical in the eyes of somebody else. Take, take Paul as an example. He could have went and said, hey, guys, what do you think? Well, he said, Paul, you have such education. You, you was raised the freedom of Gamal. You've got all of this pedigree you are the greatest teachers of the law. Just relax. Don't go off in the Arabian desert for three years. That's absolutely foolish. Don't go, don't go seek out some guy named Cornelius. You know, just, just keep thinking about that in light of counsel. Because counsel's like this pendulum that swings. We need to seek godly counsel and put godly men around us and women. We need to hear them out. But there is a place that God gives us the word. We are where we're at. We understand the situation. And then he says, do it. And then if we choose at that point to say, okay, I'm going to go over here to Chapin. And when I ask Chapin, we're circumventing the Holy Spirit's work in our own heart. Because he spoke to us. He didn't, he didn't speak to Chapin. Now Chapin say, did he speak to you? As a counselor, a lot of times, one thing I'm asking, have you heard from God? Because I don't want to get in the way of God. Has God spoken to you here? But, but notice this. The word of God does say the counsel of the Lord stands forever. What we're doing, wanting, is to seek out good counsel. Get the garbage out of the way. Get all the hearsay out of the way. And, and even for some of you that are here, uh, even you may be wanting someone in your life that is even someone who can give good counsel they may not be the person that you think they are. It may be somebody else who really gives you godly counsel. And you know what they might just say? I love you. I care. And I'm going to pray with you. And that's what you needed to hear at that time. Because you know what that does? And that takes us back to God. God, I want to hear from you. Because when we hear from God, we hear directly. 
Many times in our, in our culture where we have so much media and we have so many tools, we can have layers between us and the direct connection to God. And God says, get it from me. Get it directly from me because when we hear from God, we will get it well. We'll get it exact. And this is what David is speaking. He said, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. And that doesn't mean we say, you know, sometimes another part of seeking counsels, we get impatient. We want to know. We just, God, what do you, okay, let's be real, real right here at uh, CCS. When are we going to get us a senior pastor? Okay. But I work with that committee a lot. I know their heart. What they're saying is, we want to hear from God. We don't want to hear from man. And God's time is not our time. His way is not our way. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And we need to think that way as we wait on God. Because often, a lot of finding this counsel of God that stands forever is waiting on God and listening to God. And then moving when God says move. And, and then stopping when God says stop. Let's, let's go and look at who God is. We got a few more minutes. It says, the Lord looks from heaven and sees all the sons of men. From his dwelling place, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. And you know, I love that because it tells us that God's eyes never, he never, his, he never goes to sleep. His eyes doesn't miss one crisis, one a heartache, one trial, one burden, God already has seen it. He picks up everywhere. There's a psalm, one of the psalmists says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the good and the evil. He sees it all. His eyes, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of those whose heart is made perfect toward him. God's eyes continually just move, never sleep, they know where we're at. And in the deepest struggles we go through, God's there. He's already seen that completely, but he sees us and he, he sees the sons of men, he looks out, he sees all the inhabitants of the earth. And that is so amazing because like to go in India, India's, India's quite an experience. It, I've been in many countries, but India is just wild. It is just wild. The cars going down the road, you think, like, like this could be like a road in here, and you think two cars can make it, and the next thing in India, you've got four cars going down that road and two semis. You're going, how are they going to do it? And they're diving off the shoulders and off the roads, and it's absolutely amazing. They don't even know how many people they have there. It's about 1.4 billion. So that's, that's how many people live in India, just a few hundred thousand under China. But with India... What is so amazing is to see that mass of people and realize God doesn't miss any of them, not even that, that little child in the, in the slums. He doesn't miss any of those, the, the, the people that live in the ghettos. He doesn't miss, the Brahmin tribe is the highest tribe of all of India. It's the priestly tribe. They serve in priestly duties in the Hindu faith. It's the highest tribe. God sees all of them. He sees all the way down to the slums. And all of those castes that rise up, he sees every one. And that is so amazing about God. His eye 
not only never sleeps, his ear never shuts, but he sees every place. And I love that too because it, it teaches another truth, and that is, and you'll see it right here he, in verse 15, he who fashions the hearts of them all, he who understands all their works, God sees the heart. He also understands what we're doing. He sees the works. And, and this, is a, this is important in the Christian faith. There's places God calls us to serve and, and no one sees but God. And that's just perfect because that's what matters. God sees. He sees the heart. He sees the work. Some of you here are called in some pretty special ministries. I don't, I don't know what they are, but I know this is how God works as children. And the ways that God has used you to touch someone else, no one else sees. But God does. And then guess what happens then? He gets the glory and he blesses. And there's this little secret blessing that comes to you when you choose to uh, serve God in, in even very quiet ways and let God just uh, receive all the glory. The king is not saved by a mighty army, and a warrior is not delivered by great strength. What a, what a great verse, because he is he's simply saying, it's not the arm of flesh that will win the battle. It's not gonna be how we put it together, how we scheme, how we devise, how we plan. He, he says this so beautifully here. A horse is a false hope for victory. Now the horse was a great, um, great, great animal in those days. If you had horses, you were a rich man. If you had horses, you could outrun the, run the enemy. But notice what David is saying. It's a false hope for victory. Nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. You can't rest in the strongest thing that is around you to get the victory. The victory is in the Lord. The Lord is the one who gives the victory. And outside of that, everything else has a false sense of security. You can have it. You know, I went years and I didn't have a gun. And all of a sudden, we're, we live right up out here against a Sonoran desert and I had a neighbor come over and says, you know, guess what? You better get a gun. You're going to see a snake one of these days. And so I, I, I called my son. He has maybe 20 guns. He came up last week. And I says, hey, Jason, I gave you about five guns when you was a kid. You want to bring one up here for me? And then I'll keep it here. So I've got that thing if I ever see a snake. So, we, so he, brought me, uh, he brought me this little special for you, you, you guys here. He brought me a little 38, light little 38. And, so we went out in the forest and shot that thing a few times. And I thought, wow, it's amazing what this little thing does. And had a good little kick to it and all this. And, and I hadn't shot a gun in about 20 years. I think the last one I ever shot was an elk up in Washington. And the gun kicked and hit my nose right here. And I had a big scar on Sunday for church. And everybody wondered what happened. I said, that's about the end of that. That was about the end of my hunting experience. But, but the truth of it is that 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 is not where security is. The security is in Jesus. It's in the Lord. And even though God gives us tools, he gives us items, he gives us things around us, the true security that there is is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is, that is where we can rest. 
Behold, now he's been speaking about different parts of God. We're looking at God and we're seeing him. David brings in different parts of who he is. His eyes and his counsel and his word. And we keep on seeing these different parts of him. And now we see another part of him in verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him and on those who hope in his loving kindness. And now we begin to see the eye of God. The eye of God, and there's a verse in Peter 3 and 12 that says this, the eyes of the Lord, this is the plural, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. But the eye of the Lord is on those that fear him and on those who hope for his loving kindness. Now that is a great comfort for God's children, because someplace in life, I mean, it gets really lonely. And we're dealing with something we don't have an answer for, we don't know where to go, and you can claim this, that God's eyes don't leave us. He is looking on how to bless and how to, how to strengthen and, and how to work within us. He already knows how. He knows oftentimes he puts us in these wait periods. He puts us in these testing periods. But we see the eye of the Lord, and here is the purpose on those that fear him, on those that hope for his loving kindness, and here is the reason to deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. And you look at that, you say, well, God does that, I know, but how about the starving children in India? When you come there, it's still fresh. Well, how about all of them? I don't know, but the word of God still says this, that God delivers their soul from death. That means God does amazing things when we trust him. He supplies, I mean, if we would go down, the, down through the pew tonight, just say, okay, we're gonna take a half hour. I know, everyone here could give testimony of the ways God has delivered our soul from death. It's amazing the ways God works and the ways he, he truly delivers our soul from death. And he is our help and delivers our soul from death. He keeps us alive in famine. I think of the lean times when, and this may not be necessarily food. We could think about it differently than this. It's just a lean time. Maybe the, voices, the voice of God is quiet. Maybe there's a time we're not hearing much. Maybe for someone here, it's during the Christmas season, and all of a sudden, family's not here, and you just have a quiet time. And the Word of God says God's eyes are there. He sees that. God's eyes are focused on us, the purpose. He wants to keep us alive. He wants to strengthen us in the most lean times we ever go through in our life. And he loves to do it, and he loves to do it the most amazing ways. And he keeps us alive in famine. David ends this psalm and he says, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. And a lot of the things we've been looking about tonight, about God's looking and his, and his heart and, and the way he sees, there is so much here that goes back to waiting for the Lord. Wait on the Lord. And here David says, our soul waits on God and he is our help and our shield. When our soul waits and says, God, we are gonna let you do the work, he's gonna, he's gonna be right there. If we say, well, I, I'm tired of it. You know, I'm gonna go solve it. 
Usually it doesn't work out long term, most of the time. But when our soul waits on God, and then we let him be our help and our shield, he, he, he is the provider and he is the victor, and he supplies all of our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And, and many times that wait is a hurtful and painful time in our walk, and yet it's so necessary as a Christian. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, he will strengthen your heart, David said. Um, Isaiah says, those that wait in the Lord will renew their strength and mount up like with wings like eagles and run and not be weary. They'll walk and they won't get faith. But wait on God to move. Be patient, let God work it, and he will be there. He will do many amazing things. Our heart rejoices in him. This is what happens as we begin to wait on God and we recognize he's our help and shield. The result of this is our heart rejoices in him because we can trust in his holy name. It's like, God, you get the victory. You've done the work. You've done it perfectly. You get the victory. Our heart rejoices because we trust. And as David finishes this psalm, it seems like he's just simply saying, okay, Lord, here's my heart. This is what I want. I just want this more than anything else, God that your loving kindness, O Lord, would be upon us. You see, if God's loving kindness is upon us, we can't get any greater blessing than that. We'll never get any richer than that. We'll never get any fuller than that. And David's saying, I just want your loving kindness upon us, O God. And as David is saying this, I wonder if he's looking, I don't think he's just looking to his children. He's looking to the kingdom that God had given him. God, I want your loving kindness to be that that is upon us in every way, according as we have hoped in you. And David was coming to that place saying, Lord, it would be worth it all when your loving kindness just embraces us. And I look at that, you know, even as, as a church, as we find ourselves waiting on God, and, and we wonder, well, God, what are you doing, and how are you working, and, and what's going on? And, and you know, really, uh, God, if your loving kindness is upon us, it's okay. It's okay. Matter of fact, it's perfect. Because when your loving kindness is there, we are complete in you. We are satisfied. We have, we have everything we need that pertains to life and godliness. And we can go forward and trust you and rely upon you completely to supply every need according to your riches and glory through Christ. So we've just made a quick little study tonight, but... Uh, through this psalm, and I trust there's something there that would be a blessing. We just want you to uh, take the word with you. I mean, it's, it's good to, I read a psalm every day. Read a proverb every day. Got in that years ago, because I just, I, it speaks to me so much about where I'm at in the Christian life. But let the psalms be, become just a greater part of your entire Christian experience, because they'll reach us right where we're at today. Lord, we want to thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for your truths of your word. We thank you, Lord, for everyone that's here tonight. I pray, Father, that you would just bless and strengthen each person. Uh, may we have a fruitful week, the remaining part of this week, as we go forward and live for you, Lord Jesus. And we want you to receive the honor and glory. God, thank you that your eyes never leave us and your ears never stop listening. Your hands are still reaching out for us and we can trust you. In Christ's name we pray.
Amen. God bless you all.